Hey, everybody, it is Trags, Mike Petralia with the final episode before summer break of the Jungle Roar podcast. Why am I smiling so much? Well, that's one reason. Another reason is the guy on the other side, the one and only James Rapine of allbengals.com, the Locked On Daily Bengals podcast, one of the best podcasts out there covering your Cincinnati Bengals, not named the Jungle Roar podcast. Uh, I have to say that, James, just to kind of pump my own. I get it. For the brand. I get it. Pump pump my own uh, wheels and my own brand. Correct. And uh, you can follow James Rapine also and should be on Twitter at James Rapine, all one word. You doing well, bud? You're looking forward to the end of OTAs and your uh, summer break a little bit? I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on working on my tan. I plan on showing up to, to July uh, you know, the end of the July at camp in, in great shape. And I hope to be a, a few shades darker than I am right now. So we'll see if I can get that done. Uh, I should be a little bit darker by then. I love the summer. So I love hanging out in the sun. And uh, while we're on the subject of OTAs, uh, the OTAs wrap up this week. The Bengals about to get away for a couple of weeks. But it was interesting to me, James. I don't know if you agree with this, but Zach Taylor and uh, Joe Burrow both saying this week, yeah, we're off for a couple of weeks, but this is not the time for full vacation mode. It is mm-hmm. a time to kind of rehab our bodies, get rest, and come back ready and focused for the end of July. Yeah, and I think it varies from player to player, right? So for Joe Burrow, that's what I want to hear, and I think he'll take a couple of trips, right? And I'm sure you might ask me about Vegas the Vegas trip one. with Jesse Bates. Yeah, that would be um, but, but ultimately, yeah, he does need to be locked in. I mean, he looks great. He's clearly put in the work and he's the, the franchise guy. And so I would expect that. I would expect the head coach to, to right. say that as well. But for example, a guy like Dax Hill that's been preparing for the draft and then he gets good, you know, goes through the combine, continues to train, goes through all the interviews, then does all, sure. all of the, the stuff that comes with pre-draft. Now is going to be the time for him to take a breather because training camp is going to kick his ass. It's going to kick. Remember, Jamar Chase struggled in training camp. It's hard. It's a grind, even though it's not what it once was. And so I, I think some of these guys are going to have to take a vacation to, to mentally get ready. And then on the flip side, Burrow knows what's ahead. And so I, I think he was able to take enough of a break and he's enough of a football freak to where he's already locked in, as he said. The biggest storyline, and we'll get back to the OTAs in a little bit. The biggest storyline has is, revolves around, of course, Jesse Bates, um, the uh, Bengals safety, the free safety. And what happened this week with Minka Fitzpatrick and the Pittsburgh Steelers? I want to get your impression on the impact of that and whether you not whether or not you think that puts any more pressure on the Bengals. I don't think it does. I think the Bengals have him marked at a at a value at a number perhaps in the neighborhood of four years, 60 million. Don't think they're going to go much higher than that. Maybe 16 a year, but I don't think they're going 18 million a year over four years. No way. I agree with you. And I I, I don't think this changes much on their end. But here's why it changes things for Jesse Bates, because Jesse Bates, and by the way, I would say this too. Um, He's looking at this and he says, oh, Minka. Well, it's not just Jamal Adams anymore that got the $17.5 million deal, because that was kind of like the outlier deal in the safety market. Well, now it's Minka too. And Minka gets $18.4 million per over 
uh, four years and it's a record setting deal. And maybe Jesse doesn't get that, but he's going to want something similar. And, and so the other part of it is the guaranteed money, $36 million guaranteed. The Bengals have three guys uh, over the $20 million guaranteed mark. And only one is a free agent in DJ reader, $20.2 million in guaranteed money. Uh, Jamar Chase got $30 million in guaranteed money. Guess what? It's because he's the fifth overall pick and his rookie contract's guaranteed. Joe Burrow, $36 million guaranteed first overall pick. So uh, the Bengals haven't given out guaranteed money like that to any of these free agents that they've added over the past three years. And I don't anticipate them doing that with Jesse Bates this offseason before that July 15th deadline. So uh, one thing you point out, though, in the past, if they are going to do it, they are more inclined to do it with a player they're familiar with in their system, and yeah. they're, they're more inclined to give more guaranteed money to their own. And I think that could happen here uh, in this case. But again, um, I think you're right to point out the fact that it's not necessarily the average annual value of the contract um, that is going to be the big outlier or the big factor in whether or not a long-term extension gets done for Jesse Bates. It's whether or not, or it's a matter of how much money is going to be guaranteed for Jesse Bates. And I think that's the, the, the basic sticking point and that's what it's going to come down to. I do. I, I agree with you. And here's the thing with the Bengals guaranteed money philosophy it's going to change. It's not if it changes. No, it, it's when. It's going to change because guess what? They're going to have to guarantee a whole lot of money to Joe Burrow whenever sure. they get that deal done. And I expect it to. But are they willing? And I'm going to go back to what you said. I think the Bengals look at Jesse Bates and they say, oh, well, Minka Fitzpatrick was a two-time All-Pro, first-teamer, and a two-time Pro Bowler. You have never been a first-team All-Pro. You have never been a Pro Bowler. And you're coming off of, and it wasn't a bad season, but for Jesse Bates' standards, it was the worst season of his career. So I think there are a lot of factors here. And the other one is the safety franchise tag is pretty affordable, $12.91 If If Minka's making 18.4, and that's what he's worth, you could get Bates for 12.91 this year. Let's say he goes out there, tracks, and plays at an all-world level, best sure. safety in the NFL level, right. eight interceptions, 27 passes defense. He's just all over the field. Let's just say that. Well, they can tag him again and it'll probably give them decent value because it'll the cap will be higher and it'll be around what 15 million per. So worst case, they could do that if he plays at a high level. And if he doesn't, well, then they're probably comfortable with letting him walk or uh, maybe he'll be willing to take less. I also think it was interesting. I asked Joe Bur I asked Joe Burrow about Jesse Bates and he really spoke to his leadership quality and didn't necessarily say that there was a price tag you could put on it. As, as a matter of fact, he said, you can put a price tag probably on what he does on the field. It's what he does for us as a teammate in the locker room that you can't really monetize and you can't really put a, a dollar sign on. What did you think of his comments? And do you think that it puts any additional pressure is the wrong word, any additional emphasis uh, and priority from his perspective on management to get a deal done. Couple things there. Uh, first thing, when I heard Burrow talking about that, it took me back to a Zoom call that we had with Jesse Bates. I believe he was in his kitchen after the 2020 season, and that was a brutal, brutal year, right? You know, four wins, four eleven and one, 
Uh, they had just gotten their head kicked in. I believe it was by the Ravens in that season finale. Yes. Um, and in Bates, he was like, yeah, I want to be the Joe Burrow of the defense. They were the same age. Burrow had, had been injured, obviously, but was clearly a leader, was already a captain as a rookie. And he came out and said, it. he's like, look, I've gravitated to Joe Burrow. We're good friends. All of these things. I want to be the Joe Burrow of the defense. And what happens? Well, last year with all the contract stuff, he still gets voted a team captain. You talk to a DJ reader, you talk to a Mike Hilton, who's new, brand new, didn't know Jesse Bates in 2020, or might've known him, but didn't play with him in 2020. Right. And they speak so highly of him. So I think that the leadership aspect of this does matter. As far as Burrow's comments, I don't think he has the pool yet in the front office to be like, man, I want this guy and they got to do it. But I do think it matters. I think it matters when he says, yeah, Jesse's a guy, we want to see him, you know, get his essentially, and that we're rooting for Jesse and they understand it's a business and they're mature enough. And I don't think that Joe Burrow would pout if a deal doesn't get done or anything like that. Uh, and by the way, I don't expect Jesse Bates to pout either. I think he'll be there for training camp, but right. uh, would it help all, all matters if a deal gets done? Absolutely. And, and I think everyone's rooting for Jesse because of that leadership. Unfortunately, Trags, I just, I don't see it. I don't see how a deal gets done if it hasn't gotten done already. And maybe it's because of deadlines force, you know, decisions and, and force things to happen. But I don't think either side is blinking here. And so I think Jesse's going to have to play this season on the franchise tag. I think it comes down to whether or not that Minka Fitzpatrick deal and the guaranteed money impacts what Katie and Troy want to do in terms of offering him guaranteed money. And if it, and if they make the decision, okay, we're going to have to find a way because we really do want to get him back uh, in the prime of his career at 25 and 26. Uh, we want to get him back on the field for us long-term and we'll, it's worth an extra two to three to $4 million extra guaranteed money uh, to do that. We can find, you know, some way somewhere else in the budget. Yeah. And, and I think that's in play. And here's the other thing I mentioned, the idea of back-to-back tags, right? Well, the 13 million, nearly 13 million that he's going to make this year is obviously guaranteed. If you tag him next year, and I'm just estimating around 15 and it could be a little higher, but $15 million, that would be guaranteed as well. So in two years, and again, he's got to play well for that to happen at a really high level, I think for the Bengals to really consider that, but that's over $28 million guaranteed for two seasons. And that stinks if if you do that and you don't get him locked up for another year or two under contract. So there is uh, an argument that could be made to, hey, just, just try to find a way to get it done, even if there's $40 million guaranteed, because there's a path where you're paying almost 30 for the next two seasons if he does play well in 2022 and earn that tag again. Four years, $60 million, $25 million guaranteed. Does he sign tomorrow? No. Twenty-five Bengals, million guaranteed. I, I think the Bengals would do that. No, I think he's going to say, "I want more than Minka guaranteed." I'm serious. Minka got 36. how much guaranteed? Twenty-two. Thirty-six. Oh, 36. Correct. I'm sorry. Um, four years, thirty. Uh, four years, sixty million and forty guaranteed. Then it gets done. I think. I think that gets done. I would be shocked. Shocked. In fact. Uh, a couple rounds on me, and we could talk food, French fries, or, or adult beverages. A couple rounds on me if they guarantee two thirds of Jesse Bates' extension. I mean, think about that 40 of 60. I, I mean, if I'm Bates, Fair I enough. would sign that. 
but I would be floored if that happened. Uh, the fact that Bates and Burrow are going out to Vegas together, do you think that at all plays a factor in Joe saying, hey, look, we've got something really special here. We're going to be good for a long, a long time. You know everything here. Um, let's keep doing this. Do you think that works into his thinking at all? That part could. It could. And I just don't know if the Bengals, if they had won the Super Bowl and it Right. It really does matter. If they had, it's like, man, come on, stick around. Everything's great here. They lost it. And, and so I, I think it's going to happen at some point where you can get guys to take a little less, still get huge money, take a little less to hang around and, and avoid going to, you know, the Jets or going to the Texans or going to insert wherever where you're, you're not necessarily going to win right away. But are the Bengals there after one season? That's my question. But here's the thing. Bates loves it in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. It's pretty close to Fort Wayne, where he's from, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And so that matters. Playing with Joe Burrow, I, I do think that matters some. And so there is a chance. I think there's a chance if a deal did get done, it would be Bates saying, you know what? I want to be in Cincinnati. I don't want to play on a one-year deal. Let's get a deal done. Let's find some common ground, even if it isn't a Minka type deal. Maybe it's uh, a slightly ahead of Marcus Williams where it's like 15 million per, like you've said. And if I think the Bengals would be willing to go there. I don't know that maybe I'm wrong and they're not, but I, I think they would be willing to. Speaking with James Rapine of all Bengals.com and the locked on Bengals daily podcast. Uh, James, when uh, Joe Burrow said it's go time, do you think that was directed at anybody in the organization or was that just a way of reminding everybody i cannot wait for the end of july to get going i think he's already going like that's that's the thing i think burrow's one of those freaks that yeah he took a little time off but you think about how he his progression so he transferred to lsu and instantly had to, to go in and earn that job and then that, that off season that he had and then boom He's the most famous quarterback on uh, in college football. And then it's the draft process and he's working there. And then he's the number one pick and having to deal with COVID and all of those things and finding ways to work out. He, and then it was rehab. And then it was last year's Super Bowl run. He didn't really have time to take a breath for years, like three years. And so I think he took a breath and I would say late February, right? You know, after that Super Bowl run, early March. And now he's like, okay, let's go. That, that's it. Let's go. I'm a grinder. That's it. I'm locked in. And that's what... I expect of him, and, and you could really tell it. I think he looks lean, but muscular. Yes, and he uh, definitely looks different to me. Yes, he yeah, does. and that's that's hard to do, man. It is because he was already in great shape. Like we're talking about NFL player, so for them to get to another level where they look different in person, and you can really tell uh, that part of it. I just think he's one of those guys, and you covered one in New England. I brought it up before you did, where they just that's it. That's their life. They have other stuff. They're, you know, they have family or, you know, and Burroughs tight with his family. He's got a girlfriend. He does all these things. He plays video games. It's not like he's not doing other stuff, but man, he is just such a football freak that that's, uh, that's what I think he's going to be doing for most of June and July. And I'm glad you brought it up first, not me. So I can jump on this point and I want to make this point in a very, <laughs> very serious manner. Tom Brady at his stage of his career, and he has fully admitted this in the past, was not the physical specimen he was anywhere close to what he was later in his career. And even now, he's not ripped. He's not muscular. 
what Joe Burrow is, is he's lean, muscular, and the only thing now for Burrow to become is a little bigger. And the reason for that, I think, is I think last year, last couple of years, but last year in particular had a huge impact on his willingness and wanting to take hits and take the physical abuse of an NFL season. And I think his attitude was, if it's going to be like this, even if I have an improved offensive line, which clearly he expects to have, I think everybody does. And, but he's still going to take some hits just because he's going to hold on to the ball and complete passes downfield. He's his body's got to be more prepared physically for the wear and tear of taking those hits. No doubt. No doubt about it. And I, I think he's done a, a great job of that, but he does because he holds onto the ball. He wants to take those hits. Correct. So he's got to prepare his body for that. And he's still going to get stacked some. He's still going to hold on to the ball uh, longer to try to make plays downfield. Um, what you hope to avoid with the upgraded offensive line is obviously the quick stuff that just completely derails plays, uh, the quick pressures. But yeah, I think he's he's done a good job. I mean, it's... It's really hard because in our business, you want to be reasonable and fair and with a guy and honest and with a guy like Burrow, it's, it's really hard to be critical because it seems like he always has the right answer. He always has the right, you know, uh, demeanor about him. He always just the way he carries himself, all no of question. those things. And obviously he puts the work in. Yeah. He, there's no question that he has all of that. And he's, I think what's impressed me about Burrow this off season is his flat line, his ability to, I'm not going to get too high, too low after what happened in February, after all the hits I took, um, with all the speculation about the offensive line, he's just maintained this steady flat line of, or even maybe trying to not even flat line, but increase steadily, uh, his progress with the, with the organization. That's what I think he's done. Um, the, the fact that he said he feels normal again, that was a little nugget that I think went under the radar a little bit when he was asked about um, his sprint time. He had a 20.8 mile per hour um, speed in his post-practice sprint. And what he said was um, that, you know, I'm not going to say I was hyped about it. It just feels good to feel normal again. Those were important mm -hmm. words to hear from Joe Burrow. Yeah, no doubt, because it, it, it kind of explains, Hey, he didn't necessarily feel normal even during that Super Bowl run. And he did. He took a lot of nicks and was dinged up and had the other knee and the pinky and all of those things. And, and I think he fought through a lot of stuff last year. And I was talking to a, one of the Bengals veterans and uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And he's, he's newer. He's been around a little bit, but he's newer. Uh, but he's been on playoff teams prior to coming here. And he's like, man, that dude is so tough. He is so tough. He was so excited, this veteran was, about them getting offensive line help. And he's a defensive player, right? He's right. someone that, hey, sure. they'd want another pass rusher, and he's, the, you know, and it would help his job. And he's like, no, I'm so happy that they added offensive line help. And I think it's because of his toughness. All right. Um, his comments about he figures to see more too high, more cover two. Uh, Joe Burrow's comments this week about that. Um, do you think that's playing a little coy uh, reverse psychology? I hope uh, 
people's defensive coordinators read this and think, oh, I'm preparing for more too high. So they'll not play the too high so he can throw deep and throw the ball and, and get more big plays. And the other thing that he did say was uh, we can't be so dependent on the big play to convert on third down. I think he means that. I think he's like, look, I'm tired of throwing desperation heaves on, you know, like when he, when I asked him after one of the games that they won and I can't even remember the game, but he's like, you know, F it. I know Jamar's down there somewhere. I'm just going to throw it up and he's going to go get it. I don't think he, he genuinely doesn't want to do that coming into this season, at least as much. That was the, I believe that was chiefs AFC North game when Jamar went off for, 266 and three touchdowns and he had that big third down conversion uh back shoulder right. downfield yes. i might be wrong on that um but i i do to a couple things i do believe that they struggle with the too high looks last year and they need to be more efficient and they should be because they can run it behind alex kappa and Lyle collins and that right side should be great uh, against the run um, not that the left side won't, but I, I just I think that right side, that's where the bread and butter is going to be uh, for Joe Mixon in, in short yardage. And, and that's a big part of them being efficient. They couldn't sustain drives because they were like the worst team in the NFL. It felt like at third and one and fourth and one. It just they could not get that. They may pick up eight yards on first down and end up punting early in the game. Hard to get into a rhythm when that stuff happens. Um, so, no, I, I think so. I, I think that this team now is built offensively. If you want to go too high and try to take away Jamar, fine. We have a quarterback that's going to see that, and we're going to be able to give him time, and and he's going to take what you're giving him, and it's not going to be an issue of two and a half steps, and he better launch this ball or he's going to get crushed. That's the part of it that really, especially in the playoffs, uh, was very clear. They could not protect, and it impacted the entire offense. I I think there are going to be pages and pages of Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan's offensive playbook that they can actually use this year that weren't even really in play from maybe at all last season, honestly, I was going to say late in the year, but maybe at all. And, and so uh, I, I believe that I, I believe that uh, the other thing, and I read this uh, a lot of the teams that they play this year, and I forget where I read it. So I, I apologize to who I'm not crediting a lot of teams that they play this year, usually play single high. And so that's, that's interesting too. And it might be 10 out of 17 or 11 out of 17, whatever it is, 17 games, but still, uh, will you be willing to play single high? If you're a team that usually does that against a team, let's be honest, you got T Higgins on one side and Jamar chase on the other. It's pretty frightening downfield. Okay. What I noticed in OTAs and maybe this was unusual. Maybe it wasn't. I noticed a lot of routes seam and, and flat out routes to Hayden Hurst. I think Hayden Hurst is going to be a huge part of what they do in the pass game and what Burrow can do to, uh, if the, if they show funky looks to try and take away Jamar and take away the, the deep coverage, the seam route should be wide open or at least man-on-man coverage at the very least. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I'm excited for Hayden Hurst. Uh, I, and I, I think he's going to be one of those guys and maybe I'm wrong on this and we haven't seen him play with pads on that Joe Burrow um, that, that invites Joe Burrow to, I don't know if Hayden Hurst is married, but certainly to his wedding um, to his, any grill outs, any cookouts, any special events, because Joe Burrow is going to make Hayden Hurst a lot of money this season. 
Yeah. Hayden Hurst is going to go out and have a career year and he's going to get paid from someone and he's 30. He's going to be 30 after this year. And so this is the year to do it. And I think he came to the right place with the right coaching staff and the right quarterback where if I told you, Trags, Hayden Hurst has 10 touchdowns this year or 750 receiving yards, that's, which is pretty damn productive in this type of offense. Right. Would it would it make you blink? Because it, it wouldn't make it would not shock me if that's the case. Now I think that's no, probably, not at all. probably the ceiling, but of those 10 TDs, how many will be red zone t- TDs? That's what I want. Yeah, maybe half. We haven't seen him work a lot in the red zone. I think there's going to be a lot of catch and run for him. Think about Uzama after the catch last year. I think Hayden Hurst is the better athlete. I think think he's he's... faster. That's what I've noticed. And I agree that his speed is is no joke. And obviously, you know, we made fun of him a little bit about him talking about his speed. And there was a reason I was a number one pick, uh, first round pick uh, a couple of years ago when the Ravens took him. There's a reason for that. I was one of the fastest tight ends out there. Well, I think he's shown that. I think the one thing you can tell, I think, in OTAs is the way guys uh, approach their route running skills. And what I saw with Hayden Hurst is this guy's legit fast. I mean, he is uh, going to be a receiving weapon. For sure. And he's a a little fantasy football advice. Tight ends a really weird position. Totally someone I would target because he's going to be a buy low, the pretty high ceiling. So there you go. You didn't know I was going to drop a little fantasy. No, I, I did totally not target Hayden Hurst. But one of the many reasons I love having you on, James, is you always bring that little extra left guard competition. Um, as we wrap up this uh, last Jungle Roar podcast before the summer, um, obviously no pads, no contact, but Jackson Carmen has stayed in the first team the whole OTA session, which to me indicates that I think he's putting putting in the work in the classroom and he's showing the right effort level, at least off the field, uh, to keep that position. Do you think I'm reading too much into it? Um, maybe yes. to a degree, yeah. maybe to a degree. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that the Bengals are aware of everything that's gone on with Jackson Carmen from a, uh, a question mark standpoint, pre-draft from a work ethic standpoint, from all of those things, right. Showing up the camp overweight, all of those things. And so if you put someone else with the first team, it does make some waves. We instantly notice. It instantly becomes a story. Here's, here's what I would say is in camp, if, if he's the only guy getting first team reps, I'd be pretty shocked. And, and this might have been introducing Cordell Volson to what life's going to be like for him in six weeks. Introducing Deontay Smith to the tackle spot uh, even more, throwing him into it even more, even though he could still compete for left guard. Um, but Carmen's the favorite. I would agree with you there. He does look like he's in good shape. Um, does he have the right makeup? Does he have the right mindset? And honestly, is he good enough to win that job and consistent enough? Those are things that we really aren't going to know until camp, but I would agree with you. It does look like he's in good shape and uh, not the guy that I saw last July when I was honestly really floored that he showed up to camp the way he did. Cause it was, it was a little, I, I fair to say this. It was embarrassing for a guy that right. uh, the franchise was really banking on to stabilize one of these guard spots. Of all the rookies, the six rookies, and now Cordell Volson is uh, signed on the dotted line. All six are uh, under contract. Which rookie do you think 
can make the most impact. I'm not going to say which rookie can make, you know, make the starting 22, but which rookie do you think can be make the biggest impact? Is it Dax Hill? Dax Hill? Is it uh, Cordell Volson or somebody else? It's all about Dax, baby. <laughs> you know, Cordell Volson could certainly, you know, make the impact if he wins that starting job. But to me, Dax, he just fits. He fits anything. He fits if you got Jesse Bates and Von Bell. He fits if Von Bell uh, vanishes tomorrow. He fits if uh, you need a fourth corner uh, to, to play a, a nickel spot if you want. I think he's got the length and speed to play out. Like, I think he's just this versatile Swiss Army knife that we're going to look up in, in October and he's going to see just steadily increasing snaps and there's going to be different ways they use him and they're going to blitz him and they're going to have him in different areas. And who knows, maybe we see Von Bell, like this hybrid linebacker and you put Hill and Bates back there uh, on the right. back end. That could be really interesting depending on uh, what the opponent is and who you're going up against. So no, I have high expectations for Dax Hill and I think he's going to be able to make an impact right away. Um, Cam Taylor Britt, who knows, you know, maybe he does, maybe he pushes Eli Apple. We haven't seen a, a lot of him from OTA is not concerned about that, but, uh, we'll see in camp, uh, Zachary Carter, I think could contribute, but ultimately, um, if Volson doesn't win the starting job and I think it's, you know, this odds are stacked against them. That's hard to do. Uh, I, I think it's going to be Dax Hill and I think he's going to have a hell of a rookie year. 88 of the 90 spots are filled. Do, do the Bengals sign a receiver or someone else? Oh. Because uh, I know you wrote about this. Yeah. Um, finish with a flurry here, James. Uh, how do the Bengals approach those final two roster spots? Do they leave them open, like Zach Taylor said, uh, in case they need somebody? Do they go out and sign somebody? I think they'll go out and sign someone. I mean, that, there's more than two roster spots open for Zach. Like he knows that there are 10 of those guys aren't making the team easy. I could probably name 15 or 20 that aren't really in the running necessarily. So if they needed more than that, they could do that. Sure. Um, no, I, I think Larry Ogunjobi, if I had to guess today, I think he comes back, makes sense, Super Bowl contender, knows he fits the scheme, knows he can be productive and get paid next offseason. So we'll see if that happens. Um, to me, here are the three spots I would want. I would want a wide receiver four. I'd want an offensive lineman, maybe Riley Reef, got some swing guard tackle potential, and Larry Ogunjobi. I don't think they're going to sign all three of those guys. That would be me. And, and, and for the receivers part, I know there's been a lot of Odell Beckham Jr. talk. I wouldn't say no to it. It's Odell freaking Beckham Jr. Right. But, but Will Fuller, to me, is a take the top off the defense. He is fully healthy now. Um, so those are the two that stand out to me the most. Uh, another one that's more under the radar that wouldn't have the same impact, D.D. Westbrook. I think he's a jag. I think he's just a guy, much like a lot of this a lot of these wide receivers are behind the big three on the Bengals roster. So uh, Odell though, or Fuller now that now we're talking, we're, we're talking scary hours for opposing secondaries. If they get one of those two. It has been a pleasure having you on James, as always. Uh, I want to wish you and uh, your lovely, lovely bride, Emily, a wonderful summer. Hope you guys uh, get some relaxation uh, and get really juiced up for the upcoming season i cannot wait yep i can't wait either i uh, i can already taste the saturday night pops tracks but uh, i will enjoy this time and I, I appreciate you having me as always
Anytime. He is James Rapine. He does a tremendous job for uh, covering the Bengals for allbengals.com. Obviously, hit up his podcast on a regular basis, Locked On uh, Bengals, the only daily podcast out there covering your Cincinnati Bengals. And of course, follow him on Twitter at James Rapine, all one word. For James Rapine, I'm Mike Petralia. Thanks for watching the Jungle War podcast, and we'll talk to you on the other side of summer break.